0: Mistaken identity is kind of a big deal, isn't it? Being mistaken for somebody you're not can cause heartache, it can cause financial ruin, it can cause all sorts of issues. It is a serious problem. And I think about myself and I go, well, you know, I, I kind of like my name, you know, Jonathan Roberts. You know, my mom will watch this later, so thanks, Mom, I like my name. But a mistaken identity... Would, would cause me a lot of heartache if my name were common. Turns out my name is rather common. Did you all know that there is a professional dancer named Jonathan Roberts? And it's not this one. <laughs> as a matter of fact, he was on Dancing with the Stars. Spells his name exactly the same as mine. The thing is though, I don't go by Jonathan Roberts, I go by John Roberts, which causes even more headaches if we start thinking about mistaken identity. Not only is there a hymn writer that we've actually sung some of the hymns of this year named John Roberts, but he's been dead for a few years, so hopefully no one mistakes me for him. There is a Fox News anchor named John Roberts. There's also a Supreme Court justice who happens to be the chief justice. So, you know, it's the Roberts court when you're referring to the Supreme Court right now. If only he made some better rulings. Uh, but still, it's kind of fun to be the Roberts court. But those are all celebrities, so there's no, there's no chance that I might get mistaken for somebody, right? Well, it turns out there's over 65 John or Jonathan Robertses in the Portland metropolitan area. That's kind of crazy to think about. There's a doctor on the west side. There's a dentist out in Beaverton. There's even a John Roberts construction company, which is pretty amazing. And it's not by me. I don't have the time. But when we think about all of these these different people out there, it would cause all sorts of problems if you called up John Roberts, the dentist, and started asking him theological questions. And please don't come see me afterwards about a toothache. My wife, that's a different story. You can talk to her about it. She's a dental assistant, just in case you didn't know that. See, mistaken identity can cause heartache. I want to share with you guys a story about a Brazilian car washer whose name was Gilberto Arujo. I don't know if that's pronounced right, but I'm going to run with it. Gilberto was walking down the street when a car pulls over and says, Gilberto, what are you doing? And Gilberto goes, I'm walking down the street going to work at a car wash where I work. He goes, did you know that your funeral's today? And Gilberto goes, no, I don't think it is. He goes, "No, no. Your family and your friends are at your funeral and they're burying you." And he goes, "But I'm here. How's that work?" So, according to the BBC, he crashed his own funeral. I don't know if it was surprise, but whatever it was, he showed up and people, some of them screamed, a few fainted, and a few others went, "What the heck is going on?" Well, it turns out Gilberto Um, was working like usual when somebody who looks exactly like him came to the place where he was washing cars and died. Gilberto's brother identified the body as Gilberto. So they set up a funeral, they brought all the friends and family in, and they were burying this person that no one could figure out who it was. But it was definitely not Gilberto. So this is a big deal, don't you think? The mistaken identity. I mean, think about the heartache that the family had gone through. The brother and all the friends coming together. And then the confusion when Gilberto pops out and says, surprise. See, here's the thing. The question would be, what would the family do in response to this mistaken identity? Would they go, no, no, you can't possibly be Gilberto. We're gonna believe that he's dead. He's dead. How bad would that hurt Gilberto? He would have no family. And how bad would that be for the family? They're mourning over somebody when their son is right there. See, mistaken identity can cost. Mistaken identity can hurt. And then even worse than that is when you've got the mistaken identity and you keep running with it. I mean, think about it. You go over to that John G. Roberts, the dentist over there on the west side, and you say, I need answers about the book of Romans. Help me and you keep going back to that John G. Roberts and he has no answers, how ridiculous would that be? Because you've got the wrong person. Today we are going to look at how our world gets the wrong person when it comes to Jesus. See, there's lots and lots of Jesus's in our world and all of them, save one, are figments of people's imagination. And so today, we are going to to get our minds rightly set on who Jesus really is because it changes everything this Saturday morning, this Friday night. Because if Jesus is the true and rightful King, it changes everything about Christmas. So today, our goal is to see Jesus rightfully as the true King. Our goal is to talk about how he is the true King. One apologist said, whenever anybody asks you and says to you, I believe in Jesus, you say, which one? Because everybody, even atheists, believe Jesus existed. There's countless books that say Jesus existed. There's countless people that have a picture of Jesus. Sometimes that Jesus stays in the manger. Other times that Jesus walks around like the fifth beetle with all sorts of extra thoughts and extra wisdom to impart. Other times he's the Buddha, Other times, he's just kind of a weird guy that said some stuff and people make too much of. But everybody has to deal with who this Jesus is. So why does this matter? Well, this matters because even as early as the time of Apostle Paul, just a few years after Jesus came and died and rose and went to heaven, the Apostle Paul wrote the letter of 2 Corinthians. And in this, he says in chapter 11, But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one who we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit than the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. So what Paul's saying is there's all sorts of pretenders that have come into this Corinthian church. The worst one was the fact that people came along and they said, oh no, the Jesus you got's not right. There's this other one over here. And look, he does tricks. Or look, he doesn't make you do things. Or look, it's this. And that's where we are to this day. There are different views of Jesus. So let's hit a couple of these. And these are all wrong. They have kernels of truth, just like with everything the devil does. He takes a little bit of truth and then he adds a whole lot of false, making it fully false. The first one is the baby Jesus in the manger. This is a Jesus that a lot of people in the world like, because it's a simple story. It's mythic almost. It's just a story of a little baby in a manger, all sorts of things happen around it, and we get together and we celebrate it. Maybe we return to this once a year just to kind of brighten up the mood and get nostalgic about it. Maybe we look at this baby Jesus as kind of a a way to get away from the boogeyman. It's like the stories we tell our kids about the tooth fairy or Santa Claus. The problem with this is, is that Jesus doesn't stay in the manger. And praise God he doesn't because he heads to the cross where he makes a claim on all of our lives. So that's the first one that a lot of people have with him. The second one is the cosmic vending machine Jesus. This is where we pay our dues. We go to church. We pray, we tithe, we read our Bible. We don't watch certain R-rated movies. We substitute non-swear words for our swear words. And we say, I've done all of this. Jesus, you do that for me. I'm reminded as a high school teacher going into the cafeteria where the vending machines in my life were and seeing students who had put their money in and the M&Ms are hanging and they won't quite fall. So do they go, Darn, bummer day, someone gets two. No, they start pounding it and rocking it and hopefully not having it fall on them. And I'm sure some teachers, maybe this one, had done that as well. But that's how people approach Jesus. They approach Jesus as I do my things and then he's got to do his part. Now praise be to God, God does give us gifts. But the problem with this is we're not actually worshiping and following Jesus. We're worshiping and following his gifts. And this Jesus is not the Jesus that we need to be worshiping. The third Jesus that our, worship, our world likes is the divine cheerleader Jesus. This is the Jesus that comes along. He's your pick-me-up. Caffeine doesn't work. You go to Jesus. Comes in, he rubs your back and says, you can do this. Go get him, tiger. Maybe even gives you a little back rub on the way there. The sole purpose of Jesus in this is to say, you're good enough, you're strong enough, and you can do it. Go get it. The problem with this is this ignores the entire fact of sin. And that many times the problems that we have are because we are in sin. This Jesus has pom-poms in his hands, not nails. The fourth one is the heavenly firefighter Jesus. This is the Jesus that's break the glass in, in case of emergency. You only call on Jesus when you got something you haven't been able to handle yourself. So he steps in and he fixes the problem. And then once the problem's fixed, you return to normal. Forget about the firemen. The problem with this is, again, we don't really know him. He's a backup plan. See, all four of these versions of Jesus, we are in charge. We are dictating the terms. The Jesus that we see here, the Jesus we're going to look at today, he is the rightful king, and we are to submit to his rule, not make him submit to our rule. So again, each of these has a little kernel of truth, but ultimately, the problem is, is we're not seeing Jesus rightly. If we're thinking that Jesus is the divine cheerleader, that changes Christmas morning to something different. Because ultimately, if Jesus is here as a divine cheerleader, or the cosmic vending machine, or or the firefighter Jesus, Christmas morning, Christmas Eve becomes about me. It becomes about, hey, aren't I great? Jesus came to pat me on the back and tell me how good I am. Jesus came so that when I hit these check marks, he'll give me stuff. Jesus came only when things get bad, he'll step in and save me, because He really likes me now again praise be to god that he saves praise be to god that he gives good gifts praise be to god that there are positive psalms out there to tell us how great it is but it's all relating to our god and king jesus christ so let's read the passage we're going to go to john chapter 18 and you say that's not anywhere near the christmas story but just wait John chapter 18, verses 33 through 38. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this on your own accord, or do others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. So we see this passage and we go, eh, this is not a Christmas passage. As a matter of fact, this is way more in line with Easter. Wrong holiday, Pastor John. But I'll say, this actually is a Christmas passage because there's that one little phrase in there. He says, For this reason I was born. So he's telling the backstory behind why he came. He did not come so that we could celebrate a Christmas holiday, he did not come because he needed something for the shepherds to do on that night. He did not come so that the Magi would take the hundreds and thousands of miles of travel just to deliver gifts. He came for what reason? For the kingdom. You know, when we look at the words of the many carols that we sing, that we love, they don't make a lot of sense if it's just a baby in the manger. Thinking things like peace on earth, goodwill towards men. A lot of these these songs don't make sense unless we keep the cross in view. Look at what Isaiah 53:5 says. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. See, Jesus came not to stay as a baby, but to become a man, and then live the life that we couldn't, and die the death that we deserved, so that we could have eternal life that we don't deserve. So we want it our way. We want Jesus when we need him. And when we don't need him, we don't want him around. We'd rather be in charge. See, ultimately, the biggest sin that all of us have is rebellion. We are constantly rebelling against the king's rightful rule. And that's a sin that we must constantly be repenting of and saying, Lord, I submit. Lord, I submit. So look at the promise here in Isaiah. It says, he will bring us peace and he will heal us. Is that not what we need? 2021 needs peace and healing, just like 2020, just like 2019, and all the way back. It's not because we're broken. It's not because we're worn out. It's because we are sinners in rebellion against the king. And when you get a lot of sinners in a room together, they don't just spontaneously break out in worship. They spontaneously break out in rebellion. And this is the nature of mankind. We are constantly rebelling against our rightful king. We need this healing. We need this peace. But it only comes with the king. So only understanding of why Jesus came can we understand this Christmas event we're celebrating. Because this is our king. He is the king. And nothing we think or believe changes the fact that he's a king. All we can do is come into line with reality or we can rebel against it. That's the two ways. There is no other. So let's look at some deeper context here because obviously I'm not gonna go through all 17 chapters of John getting us to this point. But where have we been as a church in our look at the book of Matthew and the look at Jesus' life? Well, we start off the book of Matthew chapter one and it says, here is the genealogy of Jesus and it works its way all the way down to one really important person, King David. And then from King David all the way to Jesus. Jesus. Matthew's making the claim that Jesus is the rightful king. Jesus has royal blood. He is the true king. Then in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So now we're in the second chapter of Matthew. In the second chapter of Matthew, we see a group of pagans. There's probably not three. It may have been a lot more. It may have been one guy, and he was carrying a lot by himself. But however it was, they showed up, and they said, we're looking for the king. The pagans come to King Herod saying, we want to see who this king is. Matthew chapter 3, John the baptizer. He's out baptizing in the wilderness. Jesus shows up. He had been preaching this entire time. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. That means the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of heaven is here. And if the kingdom of heaven's here, it means the king is here. This was a pretty common refrain throughout the book of Matthew. Chapter four, Matthew 4:17. 4, Jesus gets back from the wilderness and it says, Jesus began to preach saying, repent, for the kingdom is at hand kingdom of heaven is at hand this is what jesus repeats over and over again paul repeats it the disciples repeat it it is why jesus came repent turn and go a different direction why because the king is here fast forward now to john chapter 18 30 years later jesus says three years removed from when john the baptist baptized him he has been arrested Because he's a Messiah that the Sanhedrin doesn't want. He's a Messiah that's not doing the things that they want him to do. So Jesus is arrested. They take him to Pilate's residence. And one of the things that I caught this time in reading it is that when they get to Pilate, who is not a Jew, they get to his house and they won't cross the threshold because they don't want to get defiled because the next day they want to sacrifice the Passover lamb, which is really ironic because Jesus is right there. He's the Passover lamb. And so they force Jesus into this pagan ruler's house and Pilate begins to question Jesus. It's ironic, this sham trial that they put together. They didn't want to violate the, the Passover laws, but they'll break all the other laws to put Jesus to death. And yet Jesus died for that too. Isn't that amazing? So let's look at verses 33 and 34. So Pilate entered his headquarters again And called Jesus and said to him are you the king of the Jews Jesus answered do you say this of your own accord or do others say it to you about me so this is a loaded question a loaded question is a a way to ask a question where if you answer it one way or the other way you still damn yourself you still say that you've done something wrong when did you stop beating your dog how long ago did you stop cheating on your taxes when, you know, just simple questions like that, where if you say, Well, I haven't, oh, so you still are. Well, I did just recently, so you were before. There's no way to answer this that can get the answer right. Because ultimately, what does Pilate mean by king? And see, this is where Jesus pushes in. He pushes right in and he goes, Well, what do you mean by king? What does that mean when you say, I'm a king? Does it mean that I'm here to overthrow, I'm a revolutionary, and I'm gonna overthrow Rome? Which is ironic, because that's what the Sanhedrin wanted. And they actually try to convict Jesus of being that, even though that's what he wasn't. It's an irony there. Or is it something else? Is Pilate starting to see the light and go, you know, you actually look like a king, but not like one I'm used to. Jesus gets right to it, and he leans right in on this and says, why are you doing this? Why are you saying it? Pilate has in mind who he thinks Jesus is. See, Jesus is not a stranger. This is not the first time. Pilate's like, I've never heard of Jesus. (laughs) That's not the way this works. Pilate knew who Jesus was. He'd been on their radar for a very long time. And so he already knows who he thinks Jesus is when he walks in the door. See, Pilate is asking Jesus if he's the leader that he thinks he is, just imagine this. If this is who Jesus is, then we are in a lot of trouble. If Jesus is just a revolutionary who's going to overthrow Rome, and he's going to take over the kingdom, and yet we won't submit to him, we are the ones that are, in, in, you know, charged with treason. But that's what Jesus is looking to be charged with here. Is he an insurrectionist, a revolutionary, a rebel committing treason against Rome? That's what Pilate's asking. Yes, Rome was an occupying army, but it was the people that were in charge. So Pilate's saying, is this who you are? Even today in our country, if you commit war or treason on the United States, the penalty is still death. But Jesus does not answer him straight out. Jesus digs deeper. What's interesting here is Jesus goes from being the prisoner to the judge, the interrogatee to the interrogator, Okay. One, one author said that this is Pilate before Jesus. Pilate is now being exposed for what he believes. There is 35. Pilate answers, am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Now, we don't get a picture here of how he said this, but it looks like indignation. It looks like a little attitude, some contempt. He says your own people delivered you i'm not a jew what do i know about all this clearly they want you dead and they want me to kill you why jesus and then look at jesus's response verse 36 jesus answered my kingdom is not of this world don't you just don't you just think that jesus was just so so calm in this pilate's going i'm not a jew they want to kill you tell me what's going on and jesus just goes my kingdom is not of this world and Pilate's gotta be going, Oh great, that doesn't help. What's going on here? And then he says, If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would be fighting, that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. Jesus says, You misunderstand my kingdom. My kingdom is greater than yours because the king is greater. My kingdom is greater because my kingdom is over all the kingdoms of the earth. He's saying, It's not of this earth. Meaning, no, doesn't mean that it's not applying to this earth, but that it's not just this little teeny empire. I mean, Jesus has got to be going, oh, Romans, your empire, it's so cute. (laughs) Mine is so much vaster. It is the entire universe. It's every person that has ever lived. It is every single square inch of the earth from the highest peak to the lowest, incredibly low, middle-of-the-ocean valley. They're all mine. My kingdom's on another plane. It is over this world and in this world all at once. Jesus is saying, I'm a different kind of king. All the empires of this world will be affected by by me, but not as a usurper for your puny little throne or Caesar's puny little throne. No, I'm over all of it. See, just like Herod, when he's so nervous about holding on to power that he killed his own sons, So no surprise, he kills all the sons in Bethlehem. Pilate is in that same place, trying so hard to hold on to a throne that at their last breath, they give up to somebody else. Jesus says, at my last breath, the kingdom is more here. The kingdom is here. I love that. It's outside this world, but it's totally in. Now on a little side note here. I mentioned earlier that, that everybody has to reckon with Jesus. There's all these different false Jesuses out there. Some people will say he's just a man. Some will say he's a wise teacher. Others will say just kind of different permutations on that. But if you look at what Jesus is saying right here, he's talking crazy. He does this throughout the Bible. You can't have Jesus just be a really smart guy and then hear the things he says because smart people don't talk like that, lunatics do. And so we're confronted again right here with this idea. Is, it, is he Lord or is he a lunatic? And throughout the Bible, the Bible says he's Lord. How do we know he's Lord? Because he delivered on what he said here. His kingdom has out-extended the Roman Empire. His kingdom is here. Its kingdom is growing. And his resurrection from the dead proves all of it is true. He is Lord. He is not some Moral teacher. He's not some good guy that just said randomly crazy things. Instead, he is Lord. See, and the good news is is that the kingdom of God is a reign of grace. Most kings would destroy anybody who rebels against them. The essential message of the kingdom is not good advice of clean up your act and win God's approval. It's good news that God is going to clean you up now that he approves you because of Christ. If Jesus' kingship was here on earth, his people should be fighting. We should be out conquering for him. But Jesus says, no fighting, no forcing, no, no overthrowing, instead, mercy, instead, grace. Look at these two kings compared. Pilate does anything to keep power and glory for himself. Jesus says, I give up my glory. One valued all the material stuff. Pilate was known for very opulent living. Herod was even worse. Jesus says, don't lay up your treasures here on earth. Lay them up in heaven. These kings ruled by manipulating material and people and getting people to do things. Jesus says, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of loaves. Jesus wants people to come to him because they love him, not because manipulated. One was arrayed in royal robes, but Isaiah 53 tells us there was no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty to make us desire him. See, this servant king has come to serve. This king has come to save. This king has come to provide a means for us to enter into his kingdom. See, Christ was in control here, not Pilate. Pilate thought he was in control. He had all the the trappings of control but Jesus is in charge. So verse 37, Pilate says, so you're a king. Let me translate, you, translate this for you. Pilate goes, ha, 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 you said kingdom. You said kingdom. Ha, ha, I knew you were a king. Gotcha. See, Pilate's just not getting it. He's just not getting the fact that Jesus is speaking something totally different than what he's saying. Pilate is expert at mix, missing the point. His preconceived idea that Jesus was a usurper king is right there under the surface and he's mistaken who Jesus is. And so when Jesus says kingdom, all he hears is king, therefore usurper, therefore rebel. Gotta get rid of him. Jesus answers, you say that I am a king. Now, this translation isn't great. Probably a better translation is what the New King James or the New American Standard says, where it says, you rightly say I'm a king or you are correct, in saying, I'm a king. So you are right that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. This is Jesus saying, this is what my kingdom's like. Earlier he had said, my kingdom's not like this. And now he's saying, my kingdom is like this. He says, I, was a ki- I am a king, I was born, I came into this world for this reason. Now one thing we cannot miss here, because I think a lot of people don't get this, and it would be a shame for you to be in church and not get this. Jesus did not come into existence on Christmas morning. When baby Jesus opened his eyes and his mouth and breathed his first actual breath, that was not when Jesus came into existence. Jesus has been God for all eternity. From the beginning of our time, beginning of anything existing, God was. And we see this. This is what we call the pre-existence of Jesus. Jesus does not become just a man. He is God who takes on flesh at the time of his birth. Technically, it would have been at the time of his conception inside of Mary, but we're talking about Christmas right now. We don't celebrate a holiday nine months ago. John 17, 5 says this. Jesus is praying to God, and he says, And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had before the world began. He came from outside the created realm. We see this in the words, I have come. Not, I have been born, and I've begun, or I came into existence. He says, I was born because I was a baby, but I came into this world. Look at these other passages. Matthew 20, verse 28, the Son of God, Son of Man came to give his life a ransom for many. In John 6, 62 and John 3.13, it says, The Son of Man descended from heaven. See, babies are born. They are not descended from heaven. They do not come down from heaven. Even more. We see throughout the New Testament, Jesus came, Jesus came, but we see it even more clearly. 1 Timothy 2. Three sixteen. He was manifested in the flesh. Meaning, he existed for all time and then took on flesh, which is what we call the incarnation, which means the infleshing. Jesus took on flesh. He became a baby. He is God eternal. He's taking on humanity. That means cold, hot, um, hungry, pain, tired, fatigued, all those words that we use to describe what it is to be a human, God of the universe took on in Christ. 1 Peter 1.20. Remember, Peter is the guy who walks with Jesus. Look at what he says. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in these last times for the sake of you. And we haven't even gone to John chapter 1 yet. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Or Colossians 1, where it says everything was created by Jesus, which means he was here before the little baby Jesus was born. See, Jesus is 100% man, 100% God. We cannot miss this. This is what makes Christmas so special. Not the virgin birth, which is important. Not the shepherds, not the angels, not the traveling to Bethlehem, not the star, not the wise men, not the killing of the babies, but the fact that it's God, 100% God, 100% man in a child. That's what the miracle is. One author puts it like this, the wonder of it expands our minds and stretches our spirit. The word who had spent eternity face-to-face with God in glory comes face-to-face with humanity. This is what we sing about in these Christmas songs. This is why these songs can say the outlandish things that we say. This is why we can sing joy to the world, which is not a Christmas song, but we do sing it at Christmas and don't stop singing it, because that's who we see is born here, the God of the universe, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus in the flesh. So now, back to the point here. He clarifies why he's here. He says, I have come for this purpose, to bear witness to the truth. This truth is that God is going to provide salvation for his people. He is a saving king. One of the things I love is I love that the kingdom takes the shape of the king, right? Apart from Christ, Christianity becomes just a regular self-help spirituality or a hobby or a family tradition or, or distracting us from reality, escape mechanism. Apart from Jesus, the true Jesus, everything just becomes mere doctrine, badges of good work, a country club that I've joined that meets on Sunday mornings, But when Christ the king, the true king is who we worship, it becomes unstoppable. The kingdom of Jesus can take the worst this world offers, the suffering thrown at it, and bring life out of the ashes. Bring wisdom from the folly, bringing beauty from death. With Christ as the center, we have a kingdom of abundant life, sacrificial love and resurrection power. Why? Because the kingdom takes the shape of the king and our king is that king. And notice the order here, it's not they they listen to his voice so now they become members of the kingdom. No, they're members of the kingdom so they listen to his voice. Spurgeon writing on verse 37 says, there are a thousand things you may not know and you will not be worse for not knowing them. But if you do not know what Jesus has taught things will not go well with you. If you are taught of the Lord Jesus, you will have rest from your cares, balm for your sorrows, and satisfaction for your desires because that's the kingdom you've walked into because the kingdom is shaped by the king. Everyone on the side of truth hears his voice. Now, this is a very important moment for Pilate. It's a very important moment. Many of us have had moments of truth like this. This is where God gets near to us. He starts pulling on our hearts and he says, you need to submit to the rightful king. Stop rebelling. For many of us, we call that the moment we became a believer or the moment we surrendered. Maybe we prayed a prayer, maybe we didn't. However it was, it's a total 180, turning a different direction. That moment of truth is where we are with Pilate right now. Verse 37 is the most important moment in Pilate's life. Jesus is saying, Pilate, look at, look at me. I'm not the king you thought I was. I'm better, trust me, submit to me, follow me. Will Pilate see it? The God man who was on trial, the one who's in the dock has now become the judge, giving Pilate a picture of what he's gonna be doing the moment after he dies and he's standing before jesus the one he thinks he's judging right now how are you going to respond pilate and then we see verse 38 here's pilate's response pilate said to him what is truth now i really wish we had some adjectives here to describe what pilate is saying how he's saying this does he say cynically oh what is truth does he say seeking what is truth Is he despairing? Oh, what is truth? Is he inviting? Is he dismissing? What is he doing here? See, the answer is right literally in front of him. Jesus could go, that's me. I'm truth. John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus is the saving king, and he's standing before Pilate, and he's saying, choose me. And Pilate goes, well, what is truth? I don't know. See, this is where we all are at one, some point in our life. Maybe you're there right now. You're going, what is true? What is the really, really true? And just like Pilate, you can respond with what is truth, but how are you responding? Are you cynical, saying no one can really know? We can't know. To which Jesus says, I am the truth, know me. Could it be seeking and going, could this really be? Jesus goes, it's me. I am the king, come see me. Is it despairing? Going, there's no hope. Jesus came to bring that hope. Is it inviting? Is this true? Please tell me. Jesus is going, yes, see me. Or is it dismissing? No one will ever really know. Why even try? To which Jesus goes, I know. Come to me. See, Pilate was confused. He was despairing. He was a materialist, hungrily pursuing all the things that our world says is where meaning comes from. Pilate is the modern man and modern woman. this This is right where we find ourselves. And so simply, don't be like Pilate. See, the truth was standing right in front of him. He couldn't see it. How many years has the truth stood in front of you? Christmas, Easter, thousands of worship services. And you've still not given up your dream of control to the king who's actually in control. See, Pilate was a tragic figure, wasn't he? I mean, he had all of the evidences that he needed. We didn't even get into his wife and the dream and all sorts of other things that God did to make this moment his moment of truth. He can't see what's right in front of him. You remember at Christ's death, one of Pilate's soldiers turns to Jesus and says, truly, this is the Son of God, that private that, that soldier who had the guard duty for the crucified criminals, has more wisdom than Pilate has in this moment. Many of us are in this place, year after year, we see this story, we witness the history, we understand it's rational, we make sense of it. We may even say, "Ah, oh, yeah, I believe that. But until we're willing to be where Pilate was and give up trying to be king and submit to the king, nothing has changed. Are you willing to submit to the king? See, the point here is, is Pilate doesn't hear because Pilate's not one of God's sheep. Look at what John 10 says. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them from the father's hand and I and the father are one. Think about this king. How kind of a king is this? See, Pilate was the typical king. You rebel against the king, you get put to death. This is not the way of our king. And praise be to God, because this room is full of rebels. This room is full of insurrectionists who want to overthrow the king, who work to try to overthrow the king. See, we deserve the death of a traitor. We deserve the death for treason, just like Pilate. But yet, Christ died for us thinking we're the king or the queen of our own story is not in touch with reality. See a case of mistaken identity not only towards ourselves but way worse towards the king of the universe. But unlike the kingdoms of this world this king does not come to us with a sword extended at our necks. He does not send us to the gallows. Instead, he says, I'll go to the gallows. I will take the sword. I will take the punishment. All I ask is that you submit to me. This is where peace on earth comes from. This is where goodwill towards men comes from because the king's kingdom is built on the king and that king sacrificed to make that a reality. This is the king that we are to follow and not only follow, to obey and to love. So my prayer for you today as we finish up is that you would see Jesus rightly. And you would see that he is the king come into the world to lay his claim on your life. Will you submit or will you rebel? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this passage, Lord. Thank you that we have this picture from Pilate of what not to do. And Lord, I I pray that he did see the light. Lord, and I pray that he was saved. But even more so, Lord, I I pray right here and right now that those of us that have never submitted would submit for the first time. And those of us who have submitted in the past but have drifted away and decided that we're gonna run things our own way and have a faulty view of you, Jesus, as the king, I pray that you would fix that in us right now. Lord, I know that I'm a rebel and I want my way so many times more than you and your way. So I pray that you would work on my heart as well. Work on all of our hearts this day. Help us to repent and help us to have a Christmas that is sweeter because we see you rightly. In Jesus' name, amen.